this is proper number 20 on Sunday September 20th of 2020 and I read from Matthew chapter 20 <laughs> so there <clears throat> is God fair is God fair just to remind us of the calling of the day we prayed grant us Lord not to be anxious about earthly things and how often are we anxious about earthly things but Lord grant us to love things heavenly and even now while we are placed among things that are passing away to hold fast to those that shall endure so this parable uh, from Matthew chapter 20 Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like as he often did and then he tells the story of this, this this householder this landowner who owned a vineyard and he goes out and he hires some uh, some men maybe women to work in his vineyard and they agree to work for a denarius for a day's labor and then he continues to go out as the day wears on and hire an additional uh, workman. And at the end of the day, he settles up with them and he gives everyone who came and worked any at all the same equal pay. So if we had been one of the ones who had worked all day and endured the heat of the day and, and, uh, and worked hard to do a good job, even though we had agreed to work for uh, the day's wage was a denarius, it, we might also feel a little slotted or cheated and seeing those who only work one hour to receive the same pay as we do. That's just part of our human nature and our internal uh, courtroom in which we decide what is fair. But it makes me wonder as I thought about the, this story brings up the issue of fairness, although it conveys a whole lot more than just that. But Jesus told it, and you can draw from the story that God's view of fairness is not the same as ours is. So I have to wonder what, uh, what standards should be used to determine what is fair. As we heard uh, Brian read from the prophet Jonah about John, the outcome of Jonah's preaching in the city of Nineveh, what made Jonah angry? I think part of it, Jonah's issue, or the reason he got so angry, this he had no love for or compassion for the men, women, and children in Nineveh. He had finally, uh, after being more or less coerced by the Lord, he had agreed to go and, and prophesy as the Lord had told him to. And he, you know, he, he would go into the city and he would say, the Lord says, and then he would give the prophecy. The word of the Lord is, and he would announce the soon coming destruction of Nineveh from heaven. 
but instead God instead of destroying the city and, and the death of all those people men women and children God heard the cries of sorrow and repentance and he changed his mind and he say and he did not destroy the city <clears throat> Jonah didn't care about the repentance and salvation of the people in the city but only that what he had prophesied failed to occur as he had predicted I think that we can also fail to experience compassion for people that we do not identify with. You know, we're inundated with news in our modern culture with all the technology, uh, almost aware of events as soon as they happen if we stay attuned to uh, the source of news, the many sources of news. So we can be made aware of tragic news and of tremendous suffering in some other part of the world, but the complexity of the problems connected to the suffering and, and the mistrust that we have of human organizations that have been created to deliver relief to those that are suffering, to those who need it, the complexities and the mistrust can overwhelm us and leave leave us being passive, taking no action to help, and soon moving on, putting the suffering, putting the thought of those who are suffering out of our minds. So again, I have to ask, what is the right standard for determining what's fair and, and, and especially when it comes to human suffering is when should we get involved and when should we uh, extend effort and and give money to help relieve those who are suffering. Again, I'm reminded of another prophet, the prophet Amos, and when he prophesied, God showed him a fire, a coming fire, and he pleaded, out, "God save Israel. He's they're too weak to endure judgment of fire." And then God showed him a. a another form of judgment and he cried out you know they're too weak so God didn't uh, he didn't pronounce either one of those judgments at the time against the nation of Israel but then God said said what do you see and Amos said he I see a plumb line I see God holding a plumb line so that that is a revelation that only only God has the standard against which can be judged what is fair and what is right. The second question that comes to mind is what is when is the outcome final? When can we assess the fairness of a situation assuming that we know what the outcome is? We have such limited knowledge and perspective because we have no way of knowing what tomorrow will bring that can change any situation. And there's a story that I heard back in, when I was in Bible school about a, ta a Taoist, how you say it, Taoist story from a Zen story of an old farmer who had worked his crops for many years. One day his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit and, and uh, commiserated his misery, saying, such bad luck with sympathy. 
And the farmer said, It may be. The next morning the the horse returned, bringing with it other wild horses. The neighbors came saying, How wonderful. Now instead of having lost the one horse, you have many horses. And the old man said, It may be. The following day, his son was trying to break one of the untamed horses. He was thrown and broke his leg. The neighbors came to offer their sympathy on his misfortune. Their farmer said, it may be. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how well things have turned out, and the farmer said, it may be. Well, that's the end of the story, but this, this Zen story may be as old as our New Testament, but we acknowledge and know that it is not inspired scripture. However, it still does a powerful job of reminding us of how limited our perspective is. We don't know the final outcome of any situation. We will always be limited due to the fact that we are finite creatures and not all-knowing gods. The good news is that while we are not gods, we can know God. And in His grace, He has revealed to us revealed to us His love and His provision for our life and salvation. When and how do we know we can trust God's fairness? And thinking about this, how do we know we can trust God's fairness? When, when can we come to the conclusion with certainty that we can trust God's fairness? The first thing I thought about is because of the cross. The scriptures reveal to us that God esteems man as his most prized creature. He created Adam and Eve so he could enjoy walking in the garden with them, teaching them about his good creation and his goodness. When Adam and Eve betrayed that trust and sin by attempting to take control of their own life, he did not destroy them and start over. Instead, he sent his son Jesus, who set aside his power and dominion as God and became a human Not an adult human who has some level of independence, autonomy, and dignity, but a helpless infant. And when the fullness of time had come, Jesus laid down his life and suffered and died that we might know life. We were alive physically, but we were dead spiritually. And then we were given new life in recognizing our need and accepting God's provision. Realizing how great is his love for us, that he would willingly die in our place, taking on our guilt and debt for our sin, so that we might be set free and declared not guilty from the power and dominion of sin, we can know that God can be trusted to be fair because he's treated us with such grace and love. When can we know that we can trust in God's fairness? because of the means of salvation as we say in the liturgy in the night his agony began just prior to going into the garden to pray awaiting his arrest he took bread and blessed it and then broke it and shared it with those he loved and said 
this is my body. In the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved tells us the words that Christ had already taught them. That he was the true bread of heaven that comes down out of that comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus went on to say in John chapter 6, verses 48 to 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. After giving them the bread he broke and blessed, that he had broken and blessed, he took a cup of wine, gave thanks for it, blessed it, and said, This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. If we go back to John chapter 6, verses 52 to 58. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the, fa not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. When do we know we can trust God's fairness? How can we know that? Because we believe and trust that God is good. If you have witnessed God answer prayer, if you've been aware of his provision, if you've been made aware of his presence in your life, then you can know that he can be trusted. He is trustworthy and he is going to be fair. He is love in the greatest sense of the word and that he desires what is best for you and he does see the big picture. We know that God is worthy of our trust. The next time you feel a knot growing in your stomach or if you're anxious this morning, my prayer is that God will give you the grace to recognize his tender, compassionate care for you will never waver and will never fail. He alone is the one in whom we can confidently place all of our cares and concerns upon. He can hold everything we can give to him and he desires us to do so, to lay our burdens upon him, to lay them at the foot of the cross. Just as we desire the best life possible for our children, our family and friends, so he desires the very best life for you. Life may not seem fair, but you haven't looked back on your life from God's perspective. There will always be days of pain, days of great suffering. But we know and serve a God who will be with us every step of the way until that day when he welcomes us home. 
May we seek to fix our eyes on the true treasure, on our eternal home, and on things eternal that will never pass away, trusting fully that Jesus is all that we need. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and declare our common faith in the Nicene Creed.